Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. My special guest embodies a rich tapestry of creative pursuits, renowned as a poet, film scientist, translator, Nanperel, producer, journalist, diplomat, and author of Czech Expression. His diverse range of talents has garnered international recognition. He has three poetry collections published in Czech. These include Landscapes, Flights, and Dictations, and Ten Quotes, Inferiority Complexes, and Human Rights. Mere words cannot describe this man. And I feel honored to have him join me on this program. Hello, sir. Good afternoon from Romania, sir. Thank you very much, Dr. Ingram, sir. I am honored to be your guest and to be a part of this program. I have been following some time now, and which uh, is one of the most followed and uh, most famous programs uh, uh, in the world, which uh, doubles the honor for me uh, uh, to be here now. Uh, I would like to express my admiration uh, not only for your uh, science, for your uh, ability of uh, making this uh, media program, but also for the very high intellectual dimension of it, because it is there are a lot of uh, poets or literature programs which consist only in hello, please read three poems, thank you very much, goodbye. But your program is in the same time so complex and in the same time brings a lot of information to to the audience. This is really not easy to do. And uh, I admire you for this. Thank you. I really appreciate that coming from you. Like I say, again, you're a man for all seasons. And again, I'm honored to have you with me. Let's begin this poetic journey. What is poetry? Sir, I think this is the simplest and in the same time, the most complicated question you could address to a poet. Because scientifically talking, poetry is a branch of literature, maybe the most delicate and the one which provides you the highest degree of independence as an author and which allows you to express yourself in the most personal way. But in the same time, more than a branch of literature, more than the object of a scientific definition, poetry is a state of interior mind. Poetry is something which makes you think and feel it belongs to you, but actually you belong to it. Poetry is poetry is something that determines a kind of mutuality, a kind of hard and complex reciprocity between the author and uh, the work, something which challenges you and in the same time asks you to challenge it because it's something you create and you want to be the first one in the world which creates, creates it this way, in a certain way, which defines you as an author, but in the same time Poetry wants you to do that. Poetry refuses you if you write something that has already written. Poetry, it's its own policeman, its own guardian against the against the anti-copyright tendencies. If you are rewriting, if you try to repeat, if you try to steal what another poet has already written, even if it is on the other side of the world, One day, this will be found out. Poetry has this ability. And in the same time, poetry is something which gives you the opportunity of working with words in the most independent way. It gives you also the the most numerous 
outputs towards other arts, theater, performance, play, player, playing as an actor. So all this is poetry, and believe me, I said, even if it lasted long, I said very little about it. Wow. It can be told a lot more about what poetry is. Now, if that's from a micro perspective, what is the macro perspective? Is it important, do you believe? It is so important because if it can give you a chance, it can give you a sense to leave. If you feel like committing suicide, poetry can determine you to give up this idea because poetry is something you something worth to worth to live for. But in the same time, if you betray it, if you don't know how to behave towards it, poetry can also kill you. Because if you create something and poetry itself is not happy with what you created. It can devour you. It can destroy you little by little until killing you because you weren't at the highness of its expectations. And I want to stress something else. Poetry doesn't expect you to be genial. Maybe you can be the worst of the poets in the world, but if you are sincere and if you what you are reading, what you are writing, it's from your heart. And it is not copied after someone else. Poetry accepts this and accepts you even as a bad poet. But you make the statements that poetry can kill you. Such strong words. Flesh that out for me. There are sometimes situations when you, as an author, as a perfectionist, would like to create a better and a better point, and even a better one. You are not happy with this. You are not happy what, with what you have already written. And desperation moments could appear, which could determine you to some equally desperate gestures. There were situations, we know a lot of poets which committed suicide, and not only because of being poor. I remember, for instance, the case of the great French uh, director, Jean-Luc Godard, who was also a very sensitive poet. Little was known about it because he was very discreet as a poet. But a couple of weeks ago, he committed suicide. He was more than 80. He went to Switzerland. And in Switzerland, it is possible to commit assisted suicide, even for non-residents. And he chose this way. Nobody wrote about it. Of course, they wrote about his suicide, but no nobody wrote about this. But I suppose now, but I think it was connected to poetry. Because concerning cinema, has already reached to the highest glory. Maybe it was something, I suppose it was something connected with poetry and with uh, something he didn't manage to attend in poetry. Maybe, or maybe I'm wrong. Powerful story. I'm saddened to hear that. Dr. Duda, is there a memory that you might be able to share with us about a time when you discovered the power of poetic language. Sir, it was two times. It was first when I was a kid. I started writing. It wasn't a poetry. It wasn't some... Um, there, there were some little rhymes. And because I was living very in a communist country, where they understood as poetry only and 
the ones writing in a free verse were condemned and didn't even make it made fun of. I wrote this kind of uh, rhymed things, which today I can't consider poetry, mm-hmm. until I was 27. I gave up that moment. I realized that late that this wasn't a poetry. And uh, I started again when I was 43. And uh, when I understood poetry was something completely else. And I tried to define poetry at the beginning of our conversation. It may sound paradoxically, but I discovered this while flying between Bucharest and Prague because that very spatial, that very artificial English language used by uh, flight attendants, which actually speak, maybe are able to say 20 phrases in English and not more. And if you are asking them anything, they would really answer you with one of those 20 phrases they know because they don't know anything at all, anything else. I understood that even here, it was a very deep source of poetry. Mm-hmm. And that's why my first poetry collection is full of happenings inspired by this by this pilots and and flight attendants english which i translated into czech because it's that's where i uh, started writing in czech instead of romanian which is my mother language because i was making my phd studies which i finished in the Czech Republic, in Prague. And the Czech language was the window that opened me the way towards the world contemporary literature. It is a little bit like a mimetics. I started to write in the same language I studied in. So... That's why I'm writing even now in Czech and I am translated into Romanian. Um, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours? And what makes them great in your eyes? Dr. Duda. I think we need maybe a week of conversation to, to answer this, this question. For instance, I was very much influenced by the contemporary Central European poetry, especially by the Czech and Polish one, Petr Hruska, Petr Borkovets, Tomáš Míka, Olina Stehlíková, Jaromir Tipult, a very deep and intellectual poetry, sometimes neighboring the prose, but in the same time, having its own independence and offering a model which can inspire you without asking you to copy it. Um, Juliusz Mateusz from the Polish literature, Ilona Witkowska, Basia Klitska, also from the Polish literature, Peter Zawada from the Hungarian literature, Ono Terek, also a great Hungarian poetess. All those people helped me to form, to create my own style and uh, each of them gave something little to me and in the same time helped me to take a distance of each of them in order not to be an imitator of any of them. Please share a poem. Thank you very much. It's an honor for me. Playing waste. There's a shortage of beds. We are lying each in one's own bed, but no one sleeps. Who knows? They can steal your bed during your sleep. We look at each other. I ringed shadows. God, who's the thief? 
there are two of us lying in each bed. The ice broke the eyebrows and escaped them. Now they are running after another through the air and suspect each other. You, left eye, you are trying to steal my right half of the bed. There are three of us lying in each bed. The other two of them keep stalking me. If I blink, I'm lost. They are only waiting for my blink in order to steal my 33% of the bed. There are four of us lying in each bed. There's no one to turn off the light. Fog sinusoids appeared out of nowhere. Two unfriended mountains finally made up, melted off, and now are flowing together, still unable to deliver the anticlinal. Ships sink in the sand. I humbly raise my warm thanks towards thou, for thou allowed me to die in a bed. Thank you. Now I would like to recite the poem in Czech, in the original language, and I would also like to take the opportunity to kindly thank my translator into English, the Slovak poetess Judith Anto. Wist. Je nedostatek postelí, ležíme každý ve své postelí, ale nikdo nespí, kdo ví, během spánku vám mohou ukrást postel. Díváme se na sebe stíny s kruhy pod očima. Bože, kdo mezi námi je zlodějem? V každé posteli ležíme po dvou. Oči zlomili obočí a utekli jim. Teď běží vzduchem jeden za druhým a podezírají se vzájemně. Ty levé oko, snažíš se mi ukrást mou pravou polovinou postele. V každé posteli ležíme po třech, po třech. Ostatní dva mě pořád pronásledují, pokud mrknu, jsem ztracen. Čekají jen na mé mrknutí, aby mi ukradli moji ložnou třetinu. V každé posteli ležíme po čtyřech. Není nikdo, kdo by zhásil světlo. Vznikly mlhavé sinusoidy. Dvě nespřátelené hory se konečně vyrovnaly, rozplynuly se a nyní Tečou spolu, ale antiklinala porodit nedokážou. Lodě se potápí v písku. Pokorně k tobě vzdávám své vřelé díky za to, že jsi mi přece jen dovolil zemřít v jedné posteli. Děkuju. Thank you. When you share it in its original language, it takes on a different onus. The power surges from it. What do you think happens between the, ori- the original translation and the English translation? I think it is my subjective participation because, of course, I feel like myself, the original language, mm-hmm. the original version. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Judith is an excellent translator, mm-hmm. and I should say that from intellectual point of view, the English version is a very managed one mm-hmm. because she concentrates, she focuses very much and objectively on the text. Actually, that's why I don't want to... I, I translated a lot of poets mm-hmm. from Czech into English, from English into Czech, from English into Romanian, from Romanian into English, but not myself, because I am subjective towards my own creation. And if I'm subjective, I could make it wrong. Therefore, I prefer kindly asking someone to translate my poems from a language to another. And of course, I repeat that I feel the closest to the original. There are also poems which I wrote originally in English. And in this case, of course, I feel the closest to that to that uh, original value. Oh, very nice. Now, Duda, Landscapes, Flights, and Dictations is the title of your first collection. 
Tell me about what inspired the book. It's uh, partially inspired by the flights between Prague and Bucharest because I spent a lot of time flying between those two cities. Please share another poem. Thank you very much. It's a little bit longer. It is uh, a poem written in memory of the women that manifested for liberty in Iran and uh, have been arrested and uh, killed uh, by the uh, local police. It is included into a collection called that means hair in the wind by the poetess and literary producer Antistein from Germany. You didn't die. You didn't die by Kosro Hashemi in your memory. My name is Kosro Hashemi. I am an IT engineer from Tehran. And you, my beloved Yasmina Sinai, were my fiancé. You disappeared that day and since I have never seen you again. Unofficial reports claim you took part with an incredible courage in a great manifestation in support of Iranian women's rights and that you were arrested the same day by the special elite troops, the guardians of the revolution. No news from you since, but later, unofficial reports claimed a few tens of participants in the manifestation were raped, brutalized, and killed in the headquarters of the Tehran police. I repeatedly asked for the corpse of my fiancé, but no answer at all from the officials. I needed some long weeks to understand the truth, but now I am aware of it, and I also know I'm not the only one to whom this truth was revealed. Therefore, I felt I had to write down the following words, which little by little developed into the first and the last poem I wrote in my life. You didn't die. Only your late blood diluted into sap, unfairly lost through the cracks towards nowhere, carved by draft. So the fire tree grew up, spreading its roots through the body of the old morning. I cuddled your trunk. I fondled your branches. I kissed your cones. And while kneeling, I melted into fog tears and I dug in vain under your shade. But it was only in the moment when the gentle murmur of your green needles quickly raising and tree started its mysterious duet with the sorceress of the wind that I realized I had never seen your hair. Our religion bans this kind of familiarity before the wedding. I must say, I was happy with respecting traditions, conventions, and rules. I was proud to be a good citizen and an exemplary believer. And it is just against all this that you choose to protest. To me, your reasons were as unknown as the color and form of your hair and as ununderstandable as the concert of your needles, sensually scratching, impelling, and kissing the immaterial breasts of this morning's air. Nevertheless, something was clear, though. Your hair that I had never seen was as much alive as the green needles and, and as the fire tree, its branches they covered, and for sure, much more alive than the education I was given and that banned me to see it before the wedding and you to show to the world its beauty and thus to prove its fire-recovering power. More alive than myself, and as much alive as you. 
for if your hair is alive, you can't be dead. You didn't die. Thank you. This was the English version, so translated by by Judith Antol. And now please allow me to present also the original Czech version. Hashemiho, na tvoji paměť. Jmenuji se Košro Hašemí a jsem IT inženýr z Teheránu. A ty, moje milovaná Jasmina Sinajová, si byla moje snoubenka. Zmizela si z tohoto dne a potom jsem tě už nikdy neviděl. Neoficiální zprávy tvrdili, že se odvážně zúčastnila velké demonstrace na podporu práv iránských žen a že tě ten samý den zatkly speciální elitní jednotky revoluční gardy. Od té doby jsem neměl od tebe žádné zprávy, ale pozdější neoficiální zprávy tvrdili, že několik desítek účastníků manifestace byli znásilněni, brutalizovaní a zabíti v sídle velitelství teheránské policie. Opakovaně jsem žádal policejní zařízení vydání mrtvoli mojí snoubenky, ale od úředníků jsem nedostal vůbec žádnou odpověď. Trvalo mi dlouhé týdny na to, abych pochopil pravdu, ale teď je mi všechno jasné. A taky vím, že nejsem jediný, tato prav- jediný, kterému tato pravda byla odhálená. Právě proto jsem cítil, že musím napsat níže uvedená slova, z kterých se postupně vyvinula první a poslední báseň, kterou jsem v životě napsal. Ty jsi nezemřela. Jen tvá pozdní krev se proměnila v mnízu a nevděčně se vytratila prasklinami doníkám způsobenými suchem. Jedle pak vyrostla a zapustila kořený do těla chrádnoucího rána. Objímal jsem tvůj kmen, hladil jsem tvě, tvé větve, líbal jsem tvé šišky. Klečena kolenou jsem se rozplynul v písečných slzách a marně jsem rozrýval zem na tvém stínu. Nicméně bylo to až v tu chvíli, kdy jemné šustěný z tvých zelených jer klíčí, rychle růstajících a i hned zakrývajících celý strom, začalo svůj tajemný duet se šumě, šuměním větru, že jsem si uvědomil, že jsem nikdy neviděl tvé vlasy. Totiž naše náboženství zakazuje takové intimnosti před svatbou že jsem byl čtitelem tradic, konvencí a pravidel. Byl jsem hrdý na to, že jsem dobrým občanem své země a vzorným věřím. A právě proti tomu všemu rozhodla protestovat. Pro mě byly tvoje důvody stejně neznamená barva a tvár tvých vlasů a stejně nepokopitelné jako koncert tvých jehel smyslně škrabajících, štípajících a líbajících nechmotná ňadra dnešního ranního, ranního vzduchu. vzduchu. Přece jen něco bylo jasné. Tvé vlasy, které jsem nikdy neviděl, byly stejně živé jako zelené jehličí a jako jedlé jejíž větve přitývaly a jistě mnohem živější než vzdělání, které jsem dostal, které mi zakázalo vidět je před svatbou a tobě ukázat světu jejich krásu a tím prokázat jejich schopnost zakrývat celou jedlí, živější než já a stejně živě jako, živé jako ty. Pokud jsou tvoje vlasy naživu, nemůžeš být mrtvá. Ty jsi nezemřela. Thank you very much. As I listen to your work, there's a sense of melancholy, a sadness, a despair, if you will. And what I'd like to know is, does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? I think it is a very beautiful way you described and you interpreted what I tried to say with a million words at the beginning. You managed to put it in a single and excellent sentence 
yes, it hurts writing poetry, but it hurts even more not, not writing it. Because if you don't write about you feel about what you feel you should write about, then that pain remains within you. Now it hurts because you gave it a form and always the pain hurts when it has a form mm. but it pains even more when it has no form and when you feel if you feel we have to give it one now are you willing to be hurt by the poetry of others if not why not what a question oh my god Dr. Ingram, sir, this is one of the most beautiful questions I have ever had uh, during my interviews. Thank you very much. Oh, my God. Sir, when I read a beautiful poem written by anyone, you have a combined feeling of wonderfulness, of beauty, of happiness, and of pain, of profound and uh, strong pain. What is is very beautiful determines, stimulates pain in you. I know it is a contradiction in terms, but it may be a, a pleasant pain, but in the same time it's a pain. It is a pain determined by wonderfulness, a pain which it is determined by the fact that there are on the world so beautiful things and those beautiful things don't have to be happy. They may be very sad, but in the same time, they may be wonderful. Mm. This is what stimulates in you that feeling of pain when reading something beautiful, when a beautiful poem, when watching a beautiful movie, when seeing a wonderful painting it's all this wonderfulness and pain can you love a poem that says what you do not want to hear I am trying to love a poem which is good mm -hmm. maybe some poems don't write what I like, what I would like to hear or to read. But they may be good in spite of the fact that I may not like what is written there or even that I may not like that style. I think we should be mature enough, grown up enough intellectually in order to recognize what is good, even if we don't like it affectionately and subjectively. Here's a different spin on that question. Could you write a poem that says what you prefer not to say? Yes. Talk to me. Or, or let me explain this, please. Yes. I can try. For sure, it is a challenge. And I think if I feel I have to write about it, even if I don't like it, I think it is my obligation. As a human being, as a poet, to write about people, about things I don't like. To write about things which would be not only painful, but which could put myself into an ugly light. Yes, I can at least try to write about it. I can't be sure that poem is going to be good, but it is my duty at least to try to write about what I have to write, but I don't like to. You use the word good, Dr. Duda. What is a good poem? A good poem is a poem which says something that hasn't been told until now. Or if it says something that has been told, if it says in an original way, in a way that it hasn't been told until now. A poem is good 
if it is complex, if it is true, if it is sincere, if it doesn't imitate some other poem or some other author, if discovered new things or new way of discovering new things, if it builds a world that resists by itself, if 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 it creates a world that can be watched and understood without supplementary explanations. Right. We're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back. back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. Dr. Duda, please share a poem. Thank you very much, sir. Please allow me to share one of those poems about something I don't like to write. I was waiting for you to get out of the bed for I waited for my what I wanted lie down instead of you. Your body is covered by red, painful, burning spots. I have huge rheumatic pains. In your case, it's called varicella. In my case, polyneuropathy. And we both fight about the only comfortable bed in the house. But whom does it rightfully belong to? who is the sickest among us. We ran into each other yesterday at the polyclinic. I didn't recognize you, but you recognized me. I guess I let you lie on that bed since I'm not the sickest one. Have you written a poem that either humbled or frightened you? Yes. Thank you for this opportunity, sir. And I want to apologize from the beginning. It is a very tough one. Okay. If you don't want to share it, then you don't need to. I don't want to put you on the spot. I want to share it, but I hope your audience is not going to feel injured. What we'll say is that this particular poem could be triggering. Okay. The recourse to the method. You don't belong to my body, but you are a piece of flesh which I would like to cut out of myself and tear to pieces of dead flesh, even if it were part of my own living flesh. A piece of flesh that didn't grow within me but it irritates and annoys me. And according to my feelings, it does not belong there, wherever it would be, among anyone and anything, not even to itself. It is too much for any place in the world. It is too much even for itself, for its own self. Moreover, it is such a piece of flesh that I can see everywhere, wherever I look even with my eyes closed, which I hear, even with blocked ears, whose smell I would feel, even through a cosmonaut mask, a piece of flesh, which was not allowed to become flesh, but it could not become flesh either, because my flesh saw another flesh. Heard its voice, felt its smell, it touched it, And for a moment, they both became one and only piece of flesh. Then they separated. And that's how you appeared. 
a piece of flesh I didn't want and didn't need, but which since then keeps turning around me, calling me, touching me, thereby stimulating more and more my hatred to it and my will to get rid of it, for which I know very well I would go to jail for long years in a number of states or they would probably even execute me and they would be entitled to it according to their laws and even to my own with these differences that in the second case they should first tear out my eyes before they see the other flesh, cut out my ears before they could hear its song, amputate my hands before they touch it, and mainly get rid of that piece of flesh by which I connected with the other flesh, and without its putting into operation, would had would that new damn piece of flesh never came into being. But in all civilized countries, this is called mutilation, and it constitutes an offense almost as serious as a murder, even if the incriminated flesh perpetrates this on its own, and so the guilt of the punisher of the punisher is almost equal to the one of the punished, and therefore it is perhaps perhaps more comfortable to put all the blame on someone else. For example, on those two pieces of flesh without which the piece of flesh that I am myself would have never come into being. But actually, I have already punished enough those two by the simple fact that I appeared. So it's probably right that the time for my punishment, for what? It doesn't even matter anymore. Sure come as well. I ask myself though, if you found out about it, and when are you going to exercise your right of punishing me? Hopefully, I will have time to disappear before finding out the answer to this question. Thank you. And now I will read the Czech variant, the Czech original. Napravadle metody. Nepatriš k mému tělu, ale si kus masa, jenž bych rád ze sebe vyřízl a zroztrhl na kusy mrtvého masa. I kdyby byl součástí mého vlastního živého masa, kus masa, který nevyrůstal ve mně, ale draždí a obtěžuje mě, a není na svém místě kdekoliv by byl, a v mých očích, ať vyrůstal z čehokoliv, je navíc všemu a všem, dokonce i sám sobě, je navíc jako takový kus masa, jenž vidím všude, kam se podívám, dokonce i se zavřenýma očima, který slyším, i se zacpanýma ušima, jehož pach bych cítil i přes masku kosmonauta, kus masa, který se nesměl stát, stát masem, ovšem. Masem se stát nemohl, protože moje maso vidělo jiné maso, slyšelo ho, cítilo jeho vůní, to teklo se ho a na chvíli se stáli jedným masem, pak se odloupli a z toho si byl ty. Kus masa, který jsem nechtěl a nepotřeboval, ale který od té doby se stále otočí kolem mě, volá na mě a dotýká se mě, čímž povzbuzuje víc a víc mou nenávist a mou vůli se ho zbavit. Začož, začož moc dobře vím, bych v celé řadě států seděl dlouhá leta, anebo by mě pravděpodobně popravili a měli by na to i nárok podle jejich zákonu. A dokonce i podle mého vlastního s tím, že v druhém případě by se mi nejdřív měli vytrhnout oči, než by uviděli to jiné maso, vyříznout uši, než by štihli uslyšet jeho zpěv, odejmout ruky, než by se ho dotkli a hlavně zbavit mě toho kusu masa, jimž jsem se tím, s tím jiným masem propojil, 
a bez jeho uvedení do činnosti by ten nový prokletý kus masa nikdy nevznikl. Jenže ve všech civilizovaných zemích se tomu říká motivace. A představuje to vážný trestný čin. Dokonce i když inkriminované maso provadí to samo na sebe. A pak se vína trestajícího téměř rovná províněný potrestaného. A proto je snad pohodlnější celou vínu házet na někoho jiného. Třeba na ty dva kusy masa. Bez nich by kus masa jimž sám jsem nikdy nevznikl. Ty jsem však potrestal dost tím, že jsem se objevil. A tak je asi správně, aby přišel i čas mého trestu. Za co? To už ani není důležité. Tam se však, jestli ty se o tom všem dozvěděl a když si uplatníš svůj nárok potrestat mě. Ale lze očekávat. Doufám, že nejspíš zmizím, než se dozvím. Thank you. The world is full of good, bad, ugly, as well as indifferent. So what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society? To be sincere, to express the world the way he feels and the way he sees it, it with his own eyes. To say the truth. He has to be conscient. He has to be aware of the fact that the way he sees the world is relative and subjective. I think his role is to reflect this subjectivity and this uh, partiality. Yes, the world is not beautiful. It's just not. There's too much happening. Too much. It's not beautiful. I completely agree with Dr. Ingram. But in the same time, if, you know, if there is something that produces in you not only pain, but let's say that feeling of wonderfulness combined with pain, mm. maybe that part of the world deserves to be called beautiful, even if it isn't. Please share another poem. Thank you, sir. I think this is the poem when I presented myself the most realistically and under the thickest quantity of humiliation I could imagine until now. Me, the one in my hospital room, Yes, nurse, ma'am. I am the healthiest in my hospital room. I can eat without any help from anyone. I can take a pee or a shit independently on any external support. I can clean and wipe my ass with my own hands. And afterwards, I am able to wash them with soap and water. I'm able to crawl to the table, to the toilet, and to the and up to the wheelchair when the stretcher bearer has to carry me to the gym and to the physiotherapy rooms, and I can jump all by myself out of my chair and a hobble to the gym equipment or to the diadynamic race devices. Nurse ma'am. You won't have any problems with me as you have with the other patients in this hospital room, in this hospital building. I am glad to appear in your authoritative eyes as a small local leader, as a kind of head of the class leader at the elementary school, showing off with an exemplary behavior in front of the teacher begging for her praise, squealing with satisfaction when he gets it. Yes, nurse, ma'am, I am the most beautiful in this hospital room. 
I am a young nurse, ma'am. I'm only 55, not 69, like Mr. Smith, not 76, like Mr. Peter. I'm able to talk like a normal person. I don't make chaotic sounds as Mr. Lopez does. I eat everything you bring to the table. I don't judge like Mr. Meyer about some diet he has to keep. I don't even protest like Mr. Nicholas, always repeating that his daughter-in-law is able to bring him better dishes from the restaurant where she is a waitress. Anything just to get your attention. Anything but just please notice me. Please say something good about me. Please praise me. But nothing comes from you. No laudatory word. No appreciating glance. No bravo. No gesture confirming my behavior. Oh, how carelessness you are, nurse ma'am. And this makes me so sad. But tomorrow, for there's always a... Tomorrow, maybe the doctor will notice me during the morning visit. She's younger and more beautiful than you, nurse ma'am. And if I'm lucky and she has no boyfriend, maybe I'll find the great love of my life right here in the hospital. And you will be sorry, nurse ma'am, for not having paid more attention to me and for having missed such an opportunity. But the next day, at the morning visit, the doctor comes with her husband, which proves to be also the deputy director of the hospital and nurse's lover. All right, I don't give up so easily. I will focus on some medicine student or resident doctor with a young and innocent soul. She will know how to appreciate my experience erudition and other exemplary moral and intellectual features of mine. But, well, students and residents, doctors, call me Pepe and fuck through the gym rooms with the nice boys in the physiotherapy department. But it's already 10 a.m. I have to absolve my kinetotherapy and physiotherapy procedures. Now I will show them. I will walk down to the physiotherapy room by stairs on my own crutches. I don't even need their elevator, not the, nor their wheelchair. Finally, a cleaning lady is noticing me. Hey, girls, look at him. Why, you thought I wasn't able to, don't you? <laughs> Stop him, fuck it. Before he fucking falls down and he gets us into some trouble, he fucking old jackass. I proudly turn towards them in order to inform them I'm no jackass and for sure not theirs. But at the same moment, I feel I lose my support point. My crutch slips into some void space and I fall down the stairs yelling and cursing, and the cleaning ladies ran and catched me just when I was about to get crushed on the bottom of the stairs. They put me in a wheelchair and quickly pushed me to the nurse's office. She finally notices me as well. God, this one looks like hell. Then she starts dressing my wounds. But one of them requires also operational surgery. So they call the doctor. She comes and starts operating immediately, assisted by resident doctors and students. What happened to Pepe? He tried to go down the stairs on crutches, but his wheels up. But his wheels upended upside down, explained the cleaning lady. It serves him right, the student comments, for not knowing his place, showing off through the hospital and like a big, fat, dirty ape and chasing young girls, thinking he's 
a married old woman, old man, with children waiting for him at home. That's enough, girls. Doctor intervenes later. Finally, there's someone who appreciates, supports, and defamation, and my feelings. Anyway, she continued, he's also a patient, and precisely the poorest and spirit ones need most of our care. Forceps and scalpel, please. I disappointedly arrived back to the hospital room. The cleaning lady pushing the wheelchair. The nurse holding high the infusion I am attached to. The doctor attentively supervising the situation. The stretcher bearer transfers me from the wheelchair into the bed, calling me a uselessly heavy, stupid fatso. And in the end, I remained alone in the hospital room with my wife, who has been anxiously waiting for me for several hours and trying to calm down everybody around by discreetly pushing into their pockets some dollar bills or five spots according to their position within the hospital hierarchy. With the last strength, I explained to my wife how deeply disappointed I am with the Czech medical system. Then, under the effect of painkillers, I fall into a deep sleep, and I dream being noticed and admired by the doctor and by the nurse and by the resident doctors and medicine students, and that the, at the, the disposal and that at the disposal of the hospital management, the nurse and the stretcher bearer who cursed me are severely fined and forced to resign, and I graciously accept the apology of all those who treated me well. My wife is sadly and anxiously covering me with the hospital blanket. While I am leaving my hour of glory, and I objectively and gratefully appreciate that if justice wasn't made for me on this world, there are still other worlds. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> that was quite a tale. <laughs> Do you view yourself as being a storyteller or wordsmith? I'm writing also short stories. <laughs> you write short stories? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you changed your voice. <laughs> you do it all. You, you play different characters. <laughs> Boy, that was great. That was great. We've almost reached the end of our poetic journey. <laughs> Would you please share one more? So let's go to something more neutral. <laughs> <laughs> more neutral. <laughs> it has no title. Something more upbeat. All right. <laughs> All right, sir. The countdown is surprised itself by its never ending length and fiercely curses its own origin, not being aware that it had passed it by long time ago, and now it is afraid of pacing by minus infinity as well without recognizing it. Thank you. <laughs> Please share the Czech version. <laughs> okay. Odpočítávání se díví samo sobě, jak je nekonečně dlouhé. A tak pohoršeně proklíná původ všeho a všech. Aniž by vědělo, že už dávno minulo vlastní bod nula. A teď se bojí, že pomíjí také minus nekonečno, aniž by ho poznal. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Dr. Duda, <laughs> do you think you were meant to be a poet? I think I can't answer this, but what I can tell you mm -hmm. is that as much 
as it depends on me, I could not have been one. Writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because staying silent is not an option. Sir, why do you write? If I wanted to remain silent, I wouldn't have written. And, or eventually, I wouldn't have read what I wrote. I don't think I want to remain silent. I am too old for this. If I manage to discover what poetry really is when I was younger, maybe yes, this would have been an answer for myself as well. But now I am too old to remain silent. Where can your work be purchased in the West? I'm preparing now a collection at Dane Inses Edition House, Publishing House. I have a lot of poems translated into English, but I have no book in English now. There are a lot of anthologies can be purchased on Amazon, on Elephant, or on the sites of the respective publishing houses. How can people stay in touch with you? You have a website. I'm very primitive from technical point of view. <laughs> so my Facebook is my Facebook account account is just my name, Mircea Dan Duta. Who wants to write me? I answer everybody, really everybody. Well, of course, if they start with with the dirty words, I will I would stop this immediately. Mm-hmm. But if someone wants to ask something or wants to talk to me, my account is public, uh, so everybody could address me on Facebook. What next? Where do you go from here creatively? I am working now at two at two new collections. Actually, I have been working on them almost nine years. And I think little by little, they will become three. And I am also working on the English anthology, uh, Dane Inns uh, proposed to me uh, for uh, being published at his, um, at his publishing house. Uh, and of course, I'm trying to be to perfectionate myself into my basic profession, into the profession from which I'm making a living. That means I'm a diplomat and I'm trying to be as professional as possible with what I'm doing because we both mentioned at the beginning that it's not possible to make a living out of poetry. And maybe if it were possible to make a living out of poetry, maybe poetry wouldn't be wonderful as it is. I'd like to thank you so much for being my guest. You are incredible. A fascinating person. Nothing but continued success. Your writing is beyond the norm in terms of the stories that you share, the way that you shape your words is just out of this world. Thank you very much, sir. I'm deeply touched and uh, it's an honor for me. And you would like us to repeat this meeting. It would be, I would be twice honored. And here publicly, I would like to kindly ask you to send me some poems or some text of yours to translate them into Romania or into Czech. Publish them in one of the countries. To you and the listening audience, as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Take care, Dr. Duda. Take care, Dr. Ringram, and thank you very much, sir. All the best. Bye-bye.
Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.